0: One of the most familiar and popular rescue mission movies is Saving Private Ryan. Now, Michael Nolting's not here this morning. I was going to use The Lord of the Rings, but since he's not here, I'm going to save that that analogy. But this is probably a movie actually most of you have seen. The other one, maybe not. In this movie, Tom Hanks is is a captain. He's charged with leading a small group of soldiers into occupied France a few days after D-Day. And their mission is to rescue a soldier whose four other brothers had already been killed in the war. The mission is dangerous, it's sacrificial, and it seems unlikely to succeed. And it's for these reasons that we find it so compelling. We're in John's gospel again this morning, and it is the story of a rescue mission. John tells us in chapter 20, verse 31, that the purpose of his gospel is that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God, and by believing we may have life in His name. John is telling the story of Jesus' rescue mission. And in chapters 13 through 17, we see Jesus give His final instructions to His disciples about His and their mission. John begins this story in chapter 1 by telling us that the true light had come into the world and that the light was life. Light Life, the world. John uses these three words throughout his gospel. And to understand this story, we must understand what John means when he says, The world. Jesus came into the world, yet the world did not know Him. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should have eternal life. What does John mean when he says, The world? The term means more than all people. It means more than the entire globe. In John's gospel, the world is, as D.A. Carson says, the created order in rebellion against God, its maker. So when John tells us that God loved the world, this is not a comment that the world was worth loving. But instead, it's a comment on the very character of God, who loves those who do not love Him. John's gospel is the story of Jesus coming to live with those who do not love him, who are rebelling against his rule, in order to bring darkness or to bring light into the darkness, to deliver these people from death to life. This is Jesus' rescue mission. And if we believe in Jesus, he has called us to play a role in this mission. Now, Jesus' mission is illustrated throughout the lives of the disciples. Jesus calls them out of the world out of the darkness to life with Him. They see His miracles. They hear His teachings. They witness the triumphal entry when Jesus rode into Jerusalem proclaiming to be king. They think they are ready to rule and reign with Him. When we are tonight in the story or this morning in the story, they've just eaten the Passover meal with Him. And the disciples are anticipating the completion of His mission when Jesus will restore God's kingdom and bring peace to His people. And so I want you to picture Jesus on that night. Now remember, John chapter 13 through John chapter 18, well actually through John chapter 19, is all one day, okay? And so picture Jesus, and he's gathering his disciples around him, similar to Tom Hanks at the end of Saving Private Ryan, gathering the troops and explaining what this rescue mission is going to look like. He's explaining the plan to finish the rescue mission. And here's Jesus, and he says, all right, guys, here's the plan. You guys are going to rescue people out of this world and bring them out of the darkness and into the light, and I'm getting out of here. (laughs) What? You can see the disciples. That's the plan? That's the rescue mission? You've come to rescue your people. You've brought us this far, and now you're leaving? And you expect us to do this on our own? Now, of course, this is a gross misunderstanding on the disciples' part about what Jesus would accomplish over the next 24 hours and 72 hours on his death and resurrection. But you can imagine their shock, their anger, their confusion. John told, Jesus told his disciples he was rescuing them, yet now he is leaving. And if Jesus is leaving, then how can we keep going? How can we ever succeed on this mission? And so the question facing us this morning is the same question the disciples had 2,000 years ago. If we believe that Jesus is the way to life and that we are to follow Him to play our part in His mission to rescue this world, what does it look like to travel on this way to walk in the light without the light Himself? Will we not simply get lost in the dark and the rescue mission fail? Jesus gives us three answers this morning to how we will succeed. First, we are to love Him and obey Him. Second, He is sending help And third, He is giving us His peace. Before we look at each of those, let's pray. Father, we thank You for another Sunday. Another time for us to gather together as Your people. What a joy it is to be here in this place. To see one another. To encourage one another. To point one another to You just by our very presence and showing up. And by being here to say that we believe in you, that we trust you. Bless us this morning. Father, as you promised your spirit to your disciples, as we will look at this morning. Help us to experience your spirit this morning. Through his power, open our eyes and our ears to see and to hear you. Father, there is nothing I can say over the next few minutes. but There are things that you can say. So speak to us this morning. Father, we want to pray for the people in our congregation who are sick, who are hurting, who, like the disciples that we just saw, were confused or frustrated, perhaps even angry because they don't understand. We pray for healing for each of them, Father. For Bill Ferris, for Peggy Bauer, for Jonathan Pence, for Mary Elizabeth Ray, for Paul Green, for John Sidney Sullivan, for John Michael Axson, for Cynthia Jaqua, for Joan Raspberry. Please heal them. Please comfort them and their families and draw them to you. Help us as a church to love them, to walk beside them, to encourage them, to care for them. Father, we pray for our state. We pray for our governor, Bill Lee, that you would give him wisdom, that you would strengthen his faith, that you would protect him against the temptations that he faces, that you would use him to bring justice and peace to this state. Father, we thank you for our nation. Father, on this weekend, when we celebrate July 4th. Help us to be a grateful people. Father, too often we complain and we bemoan the state of our nation. Forgive us our lack of gratitude. Help us this weekend to be a people that are grateful that you have placed us in this time and in this place, that you have given us the freedom Stand here this morning in broad daylight to sing songs to you, to pray to you, to hear your word. Remind us of how you have blessed us in helping us to live here. Bless Joe Biden, give him wisdom, surround him with wise counselors. And Father, we pray that your gospel would spread across this nation that you would revive your people. Father, we pray for Alan and Ann Cochet and their ministry in France and Italy. Bless them, encourage them, provide for them, strengthen them. Father, when they come here in a few weeks, help us to encourage them. Help us to love them well, to pray for them. Let your gospel go forth throughout the nation. Now, Father, again, as we turn to your word, help us to hear you. We ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Look again with me at verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus repeats this same statement two more times in verses 21 and 23. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So the first answer Jesus gives us as to what our role in His mission looks like is to love and obey Him. But what are we to make of this statement? It's obviously important since Jesus said it three times in the span of eight verses. But is Jesus' love for us dependent on our obedience? Do we have to obey in order for Jesus to love us? What are we to make of this statement, If you love me, you will keep my commandments? We need to look at the context of this statement to answer these questions. Remember, the Gospel of John is about Jesus coming to the world to a people in rebellion against God to rescue them. Jesus initiated this action. He chose to come to this rebellious world to draw people out of the darkness into the light. And immediately before Jesus began this final talk with His disciples, John tells us in chapter 13, verse 1, That when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus didn't wait to come to the world until we started loving him. No, he loved us, so he came into this rebellious world to rescue us. The gospel always begins with God and his initiating love. It never begins with us. As John tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verses 19, we love because He first loved us. And once we know His love for us and what He has done for us, how can we not love Him in return? So when Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, He is not saying that we have to obey in order to earn His love. And He is not saying that His love is dependent on our obedience. What Jesus is saying is that once we know His love for us, and love Him in return, then we cannot help but to follow Him and obey His commands. This love Jesus has for us is more than an emotional feeling. It is a commitment to seek our good out of a deep affection for us. And our love for Him is the same. It's a commitment to Him and an affection for Him as our Lord and as our Savior. And if we are committed to Him as our Lord, then of course we will want to obey His commands to do the things that please Him. We see this in our relationship with our parents, children and teenagers. If you love your parents, then you do what? You obey them. Not out of some mindless fear or some dreaded duty, but because you know that they love you and that they want what is best for you. We love Him not to earn His love, but because He first loved us another question about this statement is, what are his commandments? And if we're honest with ourselves, we often hear this statement and we think, all right, here it comes, the list of rules. If you're a Christian, you'll do these things and you won't do these other things. And this is the stereotype. The Christianity is simply a list of do's and don'ts. And the Christians get to judge the people who don't follow the list. If only it was this easy. If only Jesus had given us a list and said, these are the things you do and these are the things you don't do. And if... If you do that, you're good. But he didn't do that. Instead, he said, what? These are my commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Paul says it like this in Romans 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling of the law. This is not a mere list of do's and don'ts. Jesus' commands are about seeking the good of others. And any list of prohibitions are simply real-world examples of this love played out. Gossip and slander are not seeking the good of the person you are talking about. They're tearing that person down. Engaging in sexual immorality is not seeking the good of the other participant. It's saying, I don't care enough about you to commit to you and to sacrifice for you, but instead I'm willing to use you for my pleasure. Drunkenness, pride, envy, strife, we can go on and on and on. The reason we do not engage in these activities is because they are the opposite of loving our neighbor. These actions are not seeking the good of another, but instead are by their nature destructive of others. But Jesus doesn't just say, love your neighbor as yourself. Just before he says in verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. In chapter 13, verse 34, he says this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. That sounds the same, right? But then he includes this phrase. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. And how did he love us? He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. This love for others is the way we play our role in Jesus' mission. And Jesus is not asking us to do anything He did not do Himself. He is telling us that if we love Him, if we are committed to Him, and if we want to fulfill His mission of bringing people out of the darkness, then we will obey His command to love one another as He loved us. To sacrifice our own good for the good of others, and not just for those who are worthy, or for those who like us, but for those who are opposed to us, for those who hate us. On this July 4th, our nation is a divided state, and both sides appear to despise each other. And yet, if we claim the name of Christ, then here is Jesus telling us to love those we disagree with, to love those who might even despise us, to love them as ourself, to love them as He loved them. Because this is what the Father did for us. For God so loved the world, those in rebellion against Him, that He gave His only Son. And this is what Jesus did when He set the example for us, as verse 31 tells us. Jesus began in verse 15 by saying, "'If you love Me, you will keep My commandments.'" And he ends this passage in verse 31 by saying these words, I do as the Father commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. So if we love him, we will keep his command to love one another as he loved us. And it is through keeping this command that all people will know that we are his disciples. We play our role in his mission by loving him and by loving others. This is how we are light in this dark world. And now the obvious question for his disciples and for us. How can we possibly do this without Jesus being here with us? How do we love and obey him when he is not here to show us how to do it? And Jesus anticipates our question before we even ask it. He knows we cannot fulfill his mission. So the second thing Jesus tells his disciples is that he will send help. Look again at verses 16 and 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And then in verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Jesus is saying, yes, I'm going back to the Father. But once I get there, I'm sending help, the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 18 that he will not leave them as orphans. And this is the first of five promises of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14 through 17. And Tyler's going to go into much greater detail when he preaches John 16 in a few weeks. If he wasn't planning on it, he has to now because I've said he would. (laughs) But let's look briefly at Jesus' promise here that he is sending help. First, Jesus promises his disciples another helper. The word translated helper is the Greek word paraclete, which means to call alongside. Now, I tell you this because I do not know, not because I know anything about Greek, but because the word helper is not the only possible translation. So, if any of you have an NIV or a King James or some other version of the Bible that you use or this morning, you'll see this word translated various ways. The word was typically used in the court context and described generally a friend, not a lawyer, because we know sending one of those would not help anything. (laughs) This was a friend who assisted a person in a legal matter by encouraging, providing counsel, and speaking on the friend's behalf. The word is sometimes translated advocate, counselor, comforter, or in the ESV version as helper. And each translation references some nuance of the word. But what's important for the disciples and for us to hear is that after Jesus' departure, we are promised help through the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And by calling him the paraclete, Jesus is telling us that the Spirit will encourage us, will counsel us, will comfort us, and will give us the right words. In short, the Spirit will do what Jesus did for his disciples when he was physically present with them. Which is why Jesus says in verse 16 that the Father is sending another helper. Jesus was describing Himself as the original helper, doing the same thing that the Spirit will do once the Spirit comes. The Spirit will function for the disciples as Jesus did when He walked with them. And the Spirit does the same for us. So whenever you feel abandoned, or you feel alone in the darkness of this world, know that you are not Jesus promises us that He will never leave us nor forsake us. So cry out for help. Cry out for a fuller knowledge of the Spirit's presence. For more filling of your life with the Spirit. Because He did not leave us helpless. And second, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of truth in verse 16. And in verse 26 says, The Spirit will teach the disciples all things and bring to their remembrance everything Jesus has said. Jesus knows the disciples still don't get it. And they still have much to learn. Even though Jesus has told them over and over and over again that he's going to be killed, that he's going to rise again, it's going to happen the next day, they still don't get it. Less than 24 hours before it happens, they're still lost. And Jesus knows they need all the help they can get when it comes to understanding exactly what his mission is. And Jesus promises that the Spirit will do this. And we know that the Spirit does. Think of the difference between the fleeing disciples in the garden and the preaching disciples 50 days later at Pentecost. Think of the exploits of the disciples throughout the book of Acts and how the Spirit inspired them to write these very words. The Spirit did exactly what Jesus promised He would do. He taught them the truth and He reminded them of all Jesus had said and done. And through them, the Spirit communicated the saving mission of Jesus Christ throughout the world. The Spirit empowered them, and through that empowerment, the disciples were able to continue Jesus' rescue mission. The Spirit's work was powerful enough and effective enough that here we sit this morning, 2,000 years later, hearing the same Spirit teach us and seeing the same Spirit empower us to fulfill the mission Jesus gave us to be a light. In the darkness. The disciples thought Jesus was leaving. And while we sometimes think it would be easier to believe if we could just see Jesus in the flesh, Jesus promised us that He would not leave us as orphans, but that He would send us a helper, the Holy Spirit, who, as Jesus says in verse 23, makes His home with those who love Him. Jesus knew we could not fulfill this mission without Him. So He answers our question of how we are to love Him and keep His commands by promising that He would send a helper, a counselor, a comforter, an advocate. And He sent the Holy Spirit who dwells in us with those who love Jesus. And He empowers us to love and obey Him. And then finally, Jesus comforts His disciples before He leaves by promising them His peace. Look again at verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is the second time in chapter 14 that Jesus has said to his disciples, Let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus knows their fears and their worries and their confusion and their doubts and their misunderstandings. (laughs) And after three years, he doesn't just throw up his hands in frustration and anger for their lack of faith and their failure to understand, which if we're honest with ourselves, it's probably what we would have done. (laughs) we would have said, I've been telling these clowns for three years, and they still don't get it. Father, maybe they're right. Maybe this is not a good plan after all. Maybe these are not the people we should be entrusting with this. That's not what he does. He loves them. He's patient with them to the end. And he promises them peace. And how can the disciples be sure of this promise of peace? Because Jesus keeps the other promises he makes to them here. He tells his disciples in verse 18, I will come to you. And in verse 19, yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And again in verse 29, Jesus says, and now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. Jesus is assuring them that He will see them again after He leaves. And He makes good on this promise when He appears to them after His resurrection. Look at John chapter 20 verse 19, just a few pages over. It says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, all right, so this is the Sunday of the resurrection, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. The disciples could have peace as they continued Jesus' mission without his physical presence because they knew Jesus kept His promises. He told them they would see Him again after He left, and three days later He rose from the grave. And we can have this same peace. We know He keeps His promises, because He has sent His Spirit to dwell within us, and to give us a peace that the world cannot give. A peace in knowing that our sins are forgiven. That through the work of Jesus we can have peace with God. We can have peace with others. We can have peace with ourselves. We are reminded of this peace each Sunday as we come to the table, as we receive His body and His blood. And if you don't know or have this peace, Jesus is here this morning holding it out to you. And as He gives us this peace, He tells us the same thing that He told the disciples. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. He is sending us out to complete His rescue mission. We complete it by loving Him and keeping His commands. And we can only do it through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives inside of us and who helps us. And through this same Spirit, He gives us peace from the turmoil and chaos of this world. This world in rebellion against Him. And this world in which He has sent us to rescue through proclaiming and living the good news of the gospel. So this is the plan. For us to finish the rescue mission Jesus began through his life, death, resurrection, and ascension. If you're waiting for another rescue mission, it's not coming. So look around. This is it. All right? In this room. The plan is to take Tyler, Mike, Bill, we're gonna take Rick back there, Ronald, Tom, Justin, we're gonna throw Jay in, let him play the piano. You know, we might even get Spence Halford back here and Terry Dykus, Colin Rosser. This is the plan. Look around. This is it. Even going to get those slackers who are on here this Sunday because they're at the lake. (laughs) Bill will listen to that later. His plan is to use us, the people in this room, to use us and his spirit inside of us to change our families. To change our community, to change the world, to love the widow, and the orphan, and the prisoner, and the poor, and those who are suffering. This is the plan. If we love Him, His Spirit dwells in us and empowers us each day to carry out this plan. And when we come together on Sunday morning to hear His Word and to gather at this table, We remember what He did to prove His love for the Father and to accomplish our rescue. His Spirit is at work. And Jesus is here with us this morning. He never left us. And His plan is being carried out to perfection through the broken vessels that we are. His power is made perfect through our weakness. So look around, Christ Presbyterian Church, and be encouraged and rest in His peace because through us and through the power of His Spirit, God is asking, acting to rescue the world out of its darkness and to bring people into His light and to give them life. The light is shining in the darkness, and the darkness will not overcome it. Amen. Please stand. Turn to page 846 in your hymnal.